Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. Let's uh, let's podcast now. Shall we? Yes. <laughs> Tangent for a bit. Just sneak lessons on the what's that? One hundred and one of surviving capitalism, kind of thing. Maybe that'll be another episode. Truly, there is no good way to survive capitalism. I'm waiting no. for the days of the French Revolution to come back where we bust out the guillotine and start decapitating oligarchs. But that's just me. Yeah. So, hey, I'm ready. I always yeah. want to get into woodworking. So <laughs> that's my stance. Oh, gosh. <sighs> Anyways. <laughs> all right as we get started we are trying to keep to our corrections corner i could not think of anything from our last two episodes is there anything you want to highlight tracy no i couldn't think of anything either all right i think we did all right i don't think there was anything too glaringly terrible cool then we will work with what we've got before we get started we wanted to remind you all that our podcast is now a member of the dialogue podcast network Dialogue is a collective of independent and interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion into all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, arts, and culture. You can support our podcast and others in the network by subscribing at dialoguejournal.com. Subscribers receive special benefits like ad-free episodes and bonus content. You can learn more at dialoguejournal.com. Um, then moving on, congratulations on making it to the end of our first series of season three, everybody. So we are finishing up our My Body's a Temple series and talking about consent and bodily autonomy. We're pretty much done talking about like what to do with our body, like physically in that sense, like with tattoos and everything and the confusing policies set before us and are now touching on a topic that's not really properly discussed in doctrine or in policy. Um, but just because this isn't covered very well does not mean that it's not important. So, I mean, granted, they are trying to do a little bit in, like, leadership training to watch out for certain behaviors that um, are, like, red flags and everything. So, you went through a little bit of that back when we were in Florida and in leadership positions. And um, on our school series that we did with BYU, one of our guests said that they were starting a new, like, consent campaign at BYU. So it's starting, the conversation is starting now, which is wild to me that it's taken until 2022 to have this conversation, but we need to keep it going. We need to let it build momentum and not just let it drop off. Right. Well, then like, especially like, because right now, cons- um, well, you know, no, never mind. I'll get into that later. I mean, um, I did pull up statistics about like sexual harassment laws and like, the Civil Rights yeah. Act. So, like, we'll get into all of that stuff and, like, how society has been <laughs> ignoring consent for a very long time. Um, but we're going to get into that later in the episode. We will. Yes. Um, yeah. So, speaking on that, then, we do want to raise um, a trigger warning. This episode does warrant one um, because we will be discussing more sensitive topics regarding assault and more. So if this causes discomfort, pain, or any other concerns for you, we do invite you to wait until Again, next week. Again, this is like the eighth episode where we've said trigger warning, come back That's next true. week. Everything needs a trigger. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> there will eventually be a good- next week's episode should be a good safe next one. Next week though. is our hundredth episode. That's next right. Next week is oh our hundredth That's episode. I cannot believe this. We need to we need to do something for that. Goodness. It's really <laughs> weird. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> okay, so anyways, next week is episode 100. It'll be a fun time had by all without any trigger warnings. So really like next week, we promise will be fun. <laughs> Come back next week. Yes. It'll be straight up fun. <laughs> so fingers crossed, maybe. We'll see. But yeah. All right. So moving back into our episode of consent and bodily autonomy. So just for everyone's awareness, we want to be very clear about what we're talking about today, because I do think that a lot of times when we bring up the concept of like bodily autonomy or or even just consent, we get the, the terminology, but we often like think it's so basic. Everyone gets it in the same way. And I don't actually think that that's true. All right. So based on Wikipedia, 
Consent um, occurs when one person voluntarily agrees to the proposal or desires of another. It is a term of common speech with specific definitions as used in such fields as the law, medicine, research, and sexual relationships. Consent, as understood in specific contexts, may differ from its everyday meaning. And so I did want to make sure we included one sub-definition, which is informed consent. So this means that the person consenting knows and understands exactly what they are consenting to. And informed consent should be playing a part in every sort of situation going on. Um, so one basic un- example to consider is when a, when someone goes to the hospital, um, they should be understanding what they're signing up for when they're signing papers and when they're being told what is going to be happening um, with any support or help or surgeries that they might need in the hospital. They shouldn't really be signing things until they understand the situation, the benefits, and the risks. And it's not just on them to understand everything. It's up, it's up to the hospital to be educating them. They shouldn't be having people sign things if they don't understand what's going on. Without informed consent, a person is really only agreeing to what they know, the part that they understand, they're, which is usually the benefits. Um, but they're not consenting to the risks if they have not been informed of them. And a person really does deserve to understand the consequences of what they are signing up for, whether it's in the hospital or in some other kind of situation. And then just bodily autonomy is the right for a person to govern what happens to their body without external influence or coercion. This is an important concept for all children to be taught and to understand. So we have referenced this a little bit through our series so far, but we do want to dive into more detail here because it is important. Kids growing up in the church or in any heavily involved religion tend to be very sheltered. They're taught to trust adults and all leadership. Sometimes that can include trusting them with their minds, beliefs, and bodies, which can cause serious problems. And then also just one note, we have discussed the topic of boundaries pretty well. Um, This was back in season two, episode 66. So you'll kind of see how this kind of conversation kind of follows it and matches it in regard to handling relationships, understanding limits, and respecting those around you. So if you want to explore more of that concept, then we definitely invite you to go back to that episode and join us on this episode as well as we go into more of the basics and specifics of consent and bodily autonomy. Yeah, it's a lot. I really liked how you brought up informed consent and knowing exactly what you're consenting to because if you don't know what you're actually getting yourself into, you can't really consent to something fully, which we are going to talk about a little bit further when we talk about spiritual things as well as physical things. But in why.org with PBS and NPR, they shared in a 2020 article, quote, Understanding what consent is and what it isn't is fundamental to an array of issues such as public health, sexual harassment, and sexual assault, as illustrated by the Me Too movement. It is also considered a factor in preventing and recognizing child sexual abuse, end quote. So this article was written about teaching kids to understand bodily autonomy, a nonprofit that's titled Yes to Consent that you can find at yestoconsent.org. So this nonprofit is dedicated to educating people of all ages, kids and adults, about intersectional, consent-based, shame-free sexuality education. I think more programs are being created and more teachers are coming out about this topic because we are seeing how important it is creating a positive a shame-free environment for sex education for all ages, especially when people are in like super sheltered communities and don't have access to these kind of discussions. It's really hard to consent to any sort of physical intimacy or anything like that if you don't actually know what you're going to be doing, which I know we talked about a couple weeks ago when you brought up the example of Bridgerton. Yeah, I think, and and it's not just in regards to sex like you mentioned, but we're infantilizing one another if we're not educating one another on what it'll be like to provide and accept and create consent around certain issues and certain topics and everything. If we want to be able to educate ourselves and others, we need to make sure that we're informed from all angles so that we can better make all sorts of decisions within our life. One other super basic example of informed consent would be that a 17-year-old can take out hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to school. This is insane. It is a terrible thing that the government and a ton of companies have done to our generation and the next one. 
there are adults our age and older who are still in debt um, after paying off the basic amount of what they took, and they'll be paying off debts for the rest of their lives. There was no way for them to understand because no one properly educated them on what it would mean to go into this kind of debt. I don't think that there was like good enough training or anything. I think if anyone really understood what was going to happen to them, then they would not have accepted that. Oh, for sure. But they were tricked into an impossible situation that is affecting them for the rest of their lives because of this. So that happens with, you know, school loans is going to happen with unprotected sex, for example, and so many other things. It's insane. Um, So, I mean, we will be speaking from an angle of mostly like um, body and sex, like sex related consent and everything, because that's the way it typically is spoken about that or in like terms of speaking with children. But honestly, like, as you can see, it definitely plays a part in so many different angles within our lives that people are taking for granted and it deeply affects us. Um, It can cause trauma. It can cause debt. It can cause so many problems in our lives. That could be fixed if people would just properly give us the opportunity for informed consent. Yep. Consent is the basis of everything. Honestly. So we are going to dive in a little bit more. We're going to talk about uh, violations of consent. So as we mentioned so far, consent can involve physical activity as well as so many other matters. We gave the example of educating a patient in the hospital and about student loans. Back to the example of educating a patient within a hospital. While get providing them with informed consent can come with risks of slowing down their surgery or their healing process as they go through like concerns um, and questions, they do deserve to better understand what they're getting themselves into. A person in any situation deserves the truth. This counts as also like when we're inside the church. We deserve to know what we are signing up for. Now there is one opportunity that we do have. We have the law of common consent. So we're going to kind of explore that really quickly. In the Doctrine and Covenants Manual, Section 26, that's where we explore the Law of Common Consent. It's discussed specifically in verse 2, which says, All things shall be done by common consent. So this is the motion that we take as members of the church to give consent to new leaders and callings being assigned. It's where we raise our hand and say, yes, we support this. Elder Bruce R. McConkie explained that administrative affairs in the church are handled in accordance with the law of common consent. The law is that in God's earthly kingdom, the king counsels what should be done, but then he allows his subjects to accept or reject his proposals. Unless the principle of free agency is operated in righteousness, men do not progress to ultimate salvation in the heavenly kingdom hereafter. Accordingly, church officers are selected by the spirit of revelation and those appointed to choose them, but before the officers may serve in their positions, they must receive a formal sustaining vote of the people over whom they are to preside. You you do this countless times in your life. You do this for your your local level, within your ward, within your state, and for John Conference, we also do it for our overall leadership, like the apostles and everything. But there are still concerns within this that do get ignored sometimes. So a few things that we can do to further support these situations is to run background checks or confirm people in certain callings are not on certain lists, like the sex offender registry. We can also educate ourselves more and meet with people being offered these callings before agreeing to their calling. So not blindly accepting them for where they have been called, which I feel like is the typical thing that we do just because we're like, hey, they've clearly been called by the spirit of revelation. We trust our leaders. They can do this. That sounds good. But that's not as much informed consent if you're not really aware of their background, what they're capable of doing, what problems they might have had in their past, and so on. So then we definitely have the right when we do find someone on such a list, for example, or if we know of some past issues in their lives that could really cause issues with their new calling, we should be taking those matters up to leadership and saying, hey, I can't sustain them because I know of this reason. And that's a valid concern. And then for those in leadership, it is your job to listen when someone raises their concerns about someone. So even though we do believe in this spirit of forgiveness, that does not always mean that you can just slide by any infractions that they might have, um, especially like if it's on their church record. Um, If someone has been accused of abusing children, for example, there is no way that you should ever permit that person to work with children again. That's just how it is. They're not even allowed in the building. They're they're not supposed to be. But I've heard of I've heard of some situations where it's where the bishop is like, yeah, no, it's fine. We're good. No. 
that's breaking all yeah. kinds of laws. No, it, it is, unfortunately. So we do need to make sure that we're we're doing the right thing and we're being careful. And I mean, it's not always going to be that dramatic of a situation, but there's still going to be some issues where it's like, okay, I know this person is doing something wrong. I don't feel comfortable like speaking to that, but I can raise concerns with my leaders saying I don't feel comfortable with them doing that or being around me or so on. And the leaders really do have that responsibility to to listen. So Harold B. Lee shares in the April 1970 conference report, he said that when you vote affirmatively, you make a solemn covenant with the Lord that you will sustain, that is give your full loyalty and support without equivocation or reservation to the officer for whom you vote. So I think that we also kind of like gloss over when you do sustain people. If it really means something, then we need to make sure that we are being a lot more careful in the actions that we take. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, there are risks to everything that we do, whether or not we give or refuse consent, or if those around us keep us from being educated and having informed consent, especially within the church. We tend to keep a lot of things sacred so that they end up becoming secret. It's all of these things that are very important in the church we don't talk about as openly as we should because we keep it under the guise of, oh, it's sacred. We can only talk about it at a certain point. When in reality, we're just keeping it a secret and we're not talking about it because we don't know if we can or not. There is a lot that we can talk about in the church, even stuff relating to temple ordinances and covenants. We can talk about that, believe it or not. The specific wording and like what you do. That's the secret part. But like you can talk about the covenants that you make in the temple. You can talk about wearing temple clothes. You can talk about like what happens in the temple. It's all online. It's literally all online on the church's website. You can literally find it. We've talked about this before in our episode about temple prep, but like, bro, you don't need to keep it super secret. It's not a secret. The whole world has access to it on the church website. The problem with keeping it secret like this, not sacred, secret, is that we don't know what we're consenting to, especially with like going through to get your endowments. A lot of people go into endowment ceremonies completely blind. We both were those people not knowing what is going to happen, not being able to fully consent to it, and then being traumatized afterwards because you didn't know what you were getting yourself into. Like you knew that the temple was a sacred and holy place and you were making covenants with the Lord, but you didn't know what you would be doing and it was a traumatizing experience. And even in the endowment ceremony, you only really get one opportunity to say no to the endowment ceremony. And that one moment is not really enough because at that moment you're like, well, I'm already here. Like I might as well just keep yeah. going. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I've never seen anyone leave. I th I've heard of like, I think, I think in all the things that I've like listened to and ever heard and everything, I think I've heard of like one or two people ever walking out. Um, but that's extre that's extremely rare. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying I wish it was more normal that people would walk out, but I wish there were more opportunities for anyone who ends up going through this and does feel very traumatized. Like, I don't know of a lot of people walking out then, but I know of a lot of people who have not gone back because it was such a harrowing experience for them. I don't mean to laugh about this. It's just like... It's hard. It's really hard. It's a scary thing for a lot of people. We've talked a lot about this. Like, Really go back and listen to our Hardcore Temple Prep episode because we go really in-depth into everything about it. But like, it is a very hard new experience that we can't fully consent to because we don't know what to expect. Thankfully, like there are people like the two of us and a couple other great people out there who have started talking about it more and making it less of a secret and helping people to understand why it is so sacred and why people aren't talking about it as much. But it just needs to be open conversations fully. Agreed. Amen. We can't be prepared for everything, but we can better understand where we're at, where we're going, and that way we'll be better adjusted when everything else does come our way. So yeah, I did want to share a quick article piece um, from Bustle. They shared an insightful article uh, titled Seven Things to Understand If You Want to Practice Good Consent. It's written by Susanna Weiss in 2019, and it just addresses some really important tenets of consent, such as how consent is conditional. Just because someone agreed to one thing doesn't mean that they agree to another. She writes that continuous consent is also not a thing, that you're allowed to change your mind in any situation. 
where you should not be forced in any way to say yes to one thing and like it goes on and turns into other things. So it's important to keep these facts in mind regarding the complex topic of consent, especially as we start diving into the heavier material. Although I would add an addendum that you can continuously seek consent. Ooh, yes, that is something you should definitely do. And yeah, like that's one of the things I was thinking about a lot when I was preparing for this episode. I wanted to come into it from a few angles because it's not always that other people need to give us consent, but we also need to make sure that we're also we're also always asking for consent from other people. It's just small things for us to be able to keep in mind. Like one thing is I really care about in my life is understanding what I'm agreeing to when I'm going to go out with my family. I want to know where we're going. I want to know when. I want to have an idea how everyone else is dressing so I can feel comfortable in whatever I'm wearing. Those are very basic things. Mm -hmm. That's a small thing of informed consent that I'm trying to get. It's the small things like that can make such an important change in our lives. And now when I'm doing that with other people, I make sure that I'm educating them as well. It's one of the areas where I'm trying to make sure everyone knows exactly what they are consenting to when they are going to be spending time with me. All right, so while we're not really diving into politics, you can see where the pro-choice camp takes the words, my body, my choice, because this plays a huge part into bodily autonomy and consent. Truly, we don't have the right to interfere with another's body. There was a speech given at BYU by Ben Ogles titled Agency, Accountability, and the Atonement of Jesus Christ. And so that is an insightful talk that we are going to dive into. Okay, so I'll read the first section. The ability and privilege God gives us to choose and to act for ourselves continue to be essential in the plan of salvation. Without agency, we would not be able to learn or progress or follow the Savior. With it, we are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. Reference 2 Nephi 2.27 With agency, we have the opportunity to become like God. However, progression is only possible in a context that is rich with a variety of real choices, including between good and evil. Implicit with this freedom to choose is the reality that we all make mistakes. Sometimes we do not have all the information we need to make a good decision. Other times we make mistakes, transgress, or sin, which can bring painful consequences for ourselves and others. Agency is inextricably bound to accountability. For every decision and action, we remain answerable to God. Boom. I really like that last line. I think it's especially powerful to say agency is inextricably bound to accountability because you may think that your decisions don't affect someone or something or the world around you, but they do. If we truly believe that we are all children of God, then that means that we're all connected to one another in one way or another. We also believe that at the end of this life, we will be judged by God for our thoughts, words, and actions. And I fully believe that one day everyone will have their actions put on blast by God. And though you may think that your decisions don't have any immediate consequences in your life, they do. Like... They ripple out, they affect people you don't know, and you are ultimately going to be the one held accountable for that. Yeah, you're free to choose, but you are not free to choose the consequences. Yeah, which is so important. And I know we reiterate this a lot, but it is very important. So this is one of the reasons why informed consent is so important, that we're helping other people to understand the consequences that will come with their actions, because that does reflect on us. When we make any type of decision, we need to understand that there will be reactions, that there will be some kind of consequence. So it's in our best interest to understand what's up. Every action has an equal opposite reaction and y'all gonna get (laughs) get it for it. So, okay. Anyway, so Ogles (laughs) continues and says, quote, In addition, some of the most complicated problems in life are the direct result of injuries caused when our fellow human beings unrighteously exercise their agency to hurt, control, coerce, or use others. Unfortunately, people around us, even those closest to us, such as our family, dating partners, and friends, sometimes use their agency to act in ways that injure us. While our Heavenly Father recognizes and cares about the evil and pain we experience in this world at the hands of others, He will not remove their agency, because doing so would violate the boundaries that promote our progression. To preserve moral agency, the Lord does not restrain individuals from improper use of that agency. 
He understood that some of his spirit children would use that agency improperly, causing serious problems to others, but God did not leave us to suffer at the hands of others without providing a way of overcoming the tragic consequences of such damaging use of agency. The Savior's atoning sacrifice can heal us from the hurt and abuse of others. Even so, it is upsetting and sometimes agonizing to experience the evil, ignorant, or naive acts of some people that harm us or our loved ones, end quote. Perfect. I think that's so important. I mean, I think that really does highlight the gift of agency, like, so well. Because, yes, like, the Lord gave us all agency, and he trusted us to make decisions that would ultimately lead us back to him. But even if we're making decisions that go against what his plan is for us or go against what he wants for us, he's not going to be like, oh, stop, hold up, you can't do this. He's still going to let us make those choices and then let the consequences follow, no matter what they might be. Yeah, so I've been thinking about this a little bit more lately, where because I, I totally believe that and I support that. But it's also sometimes in certain situations when you're like in the middle of suffering, when it comes to a lot of leaders talking about like losing agency to others, especially like in bringing in the atonement, it can feel unsatisfying and still painful because like the atonement really isn't tangible and it doesn't guarantee the type of justice that we might want to see in that moment when we are hurting. There really is little true justice in this life or in the law in certain situations, which is very painful. And so sometimes like when you've been through a massive loss or been through a lot of pain, people will just say, things will get better. Like the Lord is taking care of it. Like the atonement will save you. Like you're going to be fine. But that dismisses a lot of the hurt sometimes. So even if there is something to be gained here, so much still feels lost. It can be a difficult and heartbreaking situation. But as intangible as the atonement can feel sometimes, it's still really important to take that into consideration. Sometimes the best comfort really can be found within the atonement. In staying close to your heavenly parents, a person can be reminded that this doesn't have to define them forever. That They can be reminded that there is hurt and it will go away eventually. Yeah, I agree. I think that also goes back to a conversation we had a while ago about the church's inability to let people mourn and grieve um, because we just want to skip over the sad part and go to like where things are happy and better again. But the truth is that sometimes you have to sit in the heartbreaking situation for a while and you really have to feel your feelings, let it do what it's supposed to do so that way you can come out better, stronger, and wiser for it. It's going to suck. We're not saying that we wish those situations on anyone, but when they happen, you have to just go power through it with the Lord and trust that he'll take care of you in the process. Yeah, I think to me, the atonement is there to walk beside you in your pain. It's just not going to really take it away in the way that you might expect. Mm -hmm. Bill continued with Ogles. He said, within this doctrinal context, it is easy to see why committing sexual assault is such a grievous sin. The perpetrator exerts power over another person, disregards that person's agency by depriving them of their right to control their own physical body, and treats them as an object to satisfy their own selfish desires. Individuals who force or coerce sexual contact engage in one of the most personal and invasive forms of aggression. The very definition of sexual assault underscores the idea that the perpetrator is denying the agency of the victim. Then he goes on to share some really important things that we need to be listening to. He says that I believe some instances of unwanted sexual contact at BYU occur because one person assumes the other is interested and quote unquote goes for it without ever checking to see if their perception of the other person's wishes is accurate. They then may stop when explicitly asked, but only after having kissed or touched without permission. Although this situation is different from one in which a perpetrator deliberately ignores the other's wishes and forces sexual contact, it is still without consent and is prone to result in significant negative consequences for the other person. Accordingly, I wish that all people knew how to ask first. Instead of guessing or assuming, we can rely on direct information. For example, one possibility is to ask first, and if consent is given, then you kiss. It might go something like this. I like you. I really enjoy being with you and getting to know you. Would it be all right if I kiss you? Then you wait to hear the response before acting. It would be convenient if consent for every attempt at physical expression or affection was intuitively known by both parties. The problem is that not every kiss is wanted. Wouldn't it ruin the moment if a person does not know how to read nonverbal signals well or simply believes that the other person is interested when in reality they are not? 
the pain of being physically violated is much worse than the brief and potentially awkward moment when someone lets you know that they would like to be more physically intimate. Yes. All of the yes there. Very important. I love that this was said. This is something that I've noticed happening more frequently in reality dating shows. I know that's that's my jam. It is. For example, let's talk about Love is Blind for a second. If anyone is not familiar with what Love is Blind is, it's basically a dating show where people are put into pods that are basically like a bedroom and they have to talk to this person that they don't know through a wall, get to know them, fall in love with them through a wall, never seeing them once. And if you want to meet them in person, you basically have to propose to them in the pod. And then you can start your life together. It's crazy. I love it. It's on Netflix. <laughs> so this season, one of the couples got engaged in the pods, never having seen one another. And before they left to like go get ready and meet one another, the guy asked the girl if he could kiss her when they met, which is something that I have never seen on this show before. Like sometimes they'll do it in the moment, like when they're right in front of one another, but he did it in the pod. And I was like, yes, sir. Like, get that consent ahead of time. I love this. And she was like, yes, absolutely. And then because they already had this like conversation, their meeting in person was the least awkward encounter out of all of the couples that met in person. It's one of those moments where it's like, is it awkward to ask in the moment? Yeah, it is. But like Ogle said, or Ogle said, the pain of being physically violated is much worse than the brief and potentially awkward moment when someone lets you know that they would like to be more physically intimate. Right? It's so simple. And then I was just thinking, like, it's not always going to be awkward. Like, when you think about it, it does sound awkward. But they did a really good job of it in Disney's Frozen at the very end. That is my favorite part of the movie. Because he, he like he says his feelings and he says what he wants to do, but then he's like, "Oh wait, I've got to ask, like just to be sure." And she, total, she's totally for it, which is adorable and cute and should happen more often. And I have seen one part. I've seen okay, I've seen like three clips of Love Is Blind um, in the last week. One of them is where two people are meeting and he just like full on tries to make out with her basically in the moment and is like squeezing her butt and stuff. And I'm like, not on TV, not like that. You're mean for the first time in person. I don't feel like that would be appropriate. And I honestly don't think she would have liked, she liked that um, just from the way I was seeing her body language in the moment. But she was laughing it up because what else do you do? Yeah. I mean, if I were her, I'd like to scream out sexual assault or something, <laughs> but that's more awkward. So... A lot, of, a lot of people just put up with things like that because they don't know what to do about it and they're going to be upset because their consent was violated there. Their bodily autonomy rights like were totally ignored. Like you just said, like, yeah, it's awkward the first time, but like... It gets easier. Like, How many women listening to this podcast, y'all can message us, how many of y'all have ever been like asked by someone if they can kiss you and you're immediately like nobody's ever done that for me. Hell yes, you can do whatever you want to me because you asked my permission first. There is nothing sexier than consent. <laughs> I don't even care. Thank I you. Just, I, Thank you for I, asking. I, I literally just realized I have kissed someone. I've kissed one person once and I he actually did get permission. Yeah? He got permission from my friend who was texting me. Oh my gosh. She's like, it it was a weird situation, but it worked out and it, it worked for the time. And she was like, hey, what would you do if he kissed you tonight? And I was like, I'd be up for it. And he did. And it, was, it worked. <laughs> it's like super silly, but like we were all super good friends. And it was like National Kissing Day or something. So we're just like, go for it. And it worked. I totally forgot. Yes. Love it. Consent. Consent is sexy, y'all. So funny. Okay, so oh this kind of behavior that Ogles described with like people just going for it without consent happens a lot. It especially happens in highly religious communities where people are expected to respect elders, respect leaders, priesthood holders, etc. Just because someone was raised on religious values or has the priesthood or is a religious leader, it does not mean that they are guaranteed to do the right thing, nor do they have executive permission or control to do anything with you. Additionally, we have grown up in a society where it's traditionally okay for a man to do whatever he wants with a woman. 
For example, we talked about this at the top of the episode, the Title VII Civil Rights Act of 1964 made it illegal to discriminate against race, national origin, religion, sex, which included gender, pregnancy, and sexual identity in the workplace, but it didn't update to include sexual harassment, like prohibiting sexual harassment, until the late 1980s. That's insane. Which means that up until the late 1980s, it was okay to grope women in the workplace. Oh my gosh. Insane. It's just, uh, it makes me so angry. Well, well, yeah. And especially because like a lot of people like are still like working, like who've like been through that kind of thing. Yes. Like any older adult you work with, like would have like been working in the 80s kind of thing. And even then, like that doesn't that always that doesn't always stop people. Yeah. So it's just it's wild to me to know that it wasn't until the late 1980s. So basically, like when I was born, that sexual harassment became a terminable offense. Our culture was not built for consent in America. Not at all. Not even a little bit. One of the many reasons to blame for this. I mean, there's so many reasons to blame for this. But one of the most prominent reasons to blame for this is media, popular media of the day. Yes, which bugs me, but it's like, it's true. Yeah. I love movies, but they're messy. We are constantly looking back at like classic movies. Like look at movies from like the 30s, the 40s, like any time way back when, when man would just like grab a woman and plant a kiss on her. Yeah. In the heat of the moment. She resists a little bit and then she melts into his arms. It's seen as so romantic and yet. And then it's not because then you look at it from your 2022 perspective and you're like, what the hell? Like he doesn't know that woman. He just grabbed some random woman off the street and like stuck his tongue in her throat like what the heck it's so problematic and yes maybe it seems like asking for a kiss in the middle of a lovely moment doesn't seem like a fun idea but it is entirely necessary we need to get going on that and if you're confused about someone else consenting in such a moment look for and only accept enthusiastic verbal consent. I have to put verbal consent in there because that's the kind of consent you should be giving. It shouldn't be silence. It shouldn't be hesitation. And then, okay. It shouldn't be like a nod. Mm -hmm. You need to hear, yes, it is okay to do X, Y, and Z. You need that verbal consent. Right. I just, I, I mean, yeah, I, I just think of like so many shows where moments like this, like are just so very clear. Um, I mean, like, I think of the one of the famous kisses between Han Solo and General or Princess Leia. Like, I remember growing up and thinking that was super romantic. And now I'm just like, well, that's a cringeworthy moment. Even though, like, I love those movies. I love those characters. They're so messy. But, like, I love that moment. And now I'm just like, I can't with this. And then you think of, okay, the series was terrible. And the story has a lot of problems. But 13 Reasons Why, one of her situations she ends up in a in a bad situation being sexually assaulted where she talks about like she didn't technically say no she just never said yes that still constitutes a sexual assault just because someone doesn't actually say yes or no like that's that's not enough um you need to be hearing that they want to do something and you need to be saying it as well you both need to be in very clear agreement of what is going on between you Okay, so we still have one more piece to share about um, Agil's speech. So he does say, though, let me be very clear about the responsibility for sexual assault. The perpetrator is responsible for their actions. A victim was deprived of their agency and they are not accountable for what happened to them without their consent, no matter what they were wearing, where they were, or what happened beforehand. They did not invite, allow, sanction, or encourage the assault. As it states on LDS.org, victims of abuse or assault should be assured that they are not to blame for the harmful behavior of others. They do not need to feel guilt. If they have been a victim of rape or other sexual abuse, whether they have been abused by, by an acquaintance or a stranger or even a family member, victims of sexual abuse are not guilty of sexual sin. He then adds, finally, when we respect others' agency, especially in healthy relationships that can lead to and thereafter enrich covenant marriage, we have the potential to jointly, mutually, and consensually engage in an intimate and eternal marriage that can bring us a fullness of joy with our families in the presence of our eternal father. 
which is very important. Like there are good things that can come by accepting um, consent and working together through that thing. It does. It's not all about just preventing bad things. It can lead to very good things. I really appreciated how blunt he was as well in saying, this is not your fault. Like the perpetrator is entirely to blame on this. Yeah, I think it was important for him to highlight that too, especially because we do have a very strange subculture in our country, especially of victim blaming and doing everything possible to take the responsibility and accountability away from the perpetrator and put it on the victim, which is unacceptable. So I think it was really good that he highlighted that. Yeah, I was very much appreciated. And when it comes to like victim blaming or like addressing victims, we still like try to kind of like look past the pain that people experience after suffering sexual assault. A lot of the advice that they're told is often just to move on with their lives, to focus on the good, to forgive and forget even. And too many times I've heard people say if there are certain outcomes, like if a woman is raped and ends up with a child, they say just let your kid be adopted, like easy peasy. Like they're giving off solutions without like really listening to the pain that someone has gone through and ignoring all the trauma that comes with this. So to ensure that we don't let that kind of happen in this episode, and for those who just kind of like need a reminder, there are countless consequences that happen when a human being suffers, when they are assaulted and their bodily autonomy is violated. So we went to RAIN, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, to share some statistics regarding what some of those consequences tend to be. So 94% of women who are raped experience symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder during the two weeks following the rape, and 30% are still experiencing it nine months after. 13% of women who are raped attempt suicide. Approximately 70% of rape or sexual assault victims experience moderate to severe distress, a larger percentage than for any other violent crime. People who have been sexually assaulted are more likely to use drugs than the general public, such as marijuana, cocaine, and other major drugs. 38% of victims of sexual violence experience work or school problems, which can include significant problems with a boss, coworker, or peer. 37% experience family and friend problems, including getting into arguments more frequently than before, not feeling able to trust their family or friends, or not feeling as close to them as before the crime. 67% of survivors who were victimized by a stranger experienced professional or emotional issues, including moderate to severe distress or increased problems at work or school. And finally, the average number of rapes and sexual assaults against females of childbearing age is approximately 250,000. Thus, the number of children conceived from rape each year in the United States might range from 7,750 to 12,500. This is a rough estimate, but references real data and is a fairly reasonable assumption. We truly can't get hard numbers most of the time because it is very hard to get women to come forward and to actually admit when they've had they've been sexually assaulted. It could mean that they lose their way of life, their jobs, family, friends, money in lawsuits, along with the very small chance of bringing their perpetrator to justice. For example, it is incredibly difficult to report sexual assault, especially rape, because you first have to get examined by medical professionals who get all up in your physical business, and then they ask you to retell exactly what happened. So you have to tell your experience and relive it one time first. Then you have to do it again for the police. So now you're retelling your story again. Then you have to do it to a social worker. So you're retelling this experience a third time. Then you have to do it again to legal counsel, so you're doing it a fourth time, and you have to just keep retelling the story. And this all happens within like the first 24 hours of you reporting that offense. That's And that's before you're even able to like take it before a judge then. Yes. This is all pre-getting into a courtroom. This is all just before. And each time you share that experience, you are reliving that moment. Additionally, if you're looking at it from strictly a criminal justice perspective, if you retell the, the experience and it deviates even the slightest bit from your first retelling to police, they will throw away your case because the story is changing and now you're considered an unreliable source even though it happened to you. Most women 
do not report any sexual assaults because of that reason. Because one, the system is not built for us. Two, they have to re-traumatize themselves over and over and over again just to get their story heard. And then three, any mistake that they make, their case goes away and they lose any possibility of having justice. We have a very hard time getting those numbers accurately displayed anywhere. Yeah, it's very hard. And then I was listening to a story that a that a lawyer was sharing that of someone working so hard to keep sharing their story to make sure that they could get their person put in jail and everything, which is extremely rare. And often like they only get like three years, which is nothing because people like that tend to be the most likely to do something like that again. But even just even if you can't keep your story straight through it all, like your lawyer and the others are like, they're going to keep asking you questions. Imagine like going through something so traumatizing and then having to repeat it over and over saying, okay, this is where the hands were. This is where I was. This is what I was feeling. This is what he was saying. It's all these like terrible things that you have to keep doing. And even if you can keep your story straight, it's not always possible to like feel like you're not falling apart. So people will stay strong. They'll be able to keep their story straight, but they end up feeling broken in the middle of their court case because they cannot keep retelling their story and they have to say I give up I am done I've been through enough trauma I can't do this anymore and then the perpetrator walks away and they've gone through a ton of trauma now for nothing and the fact that our system makes people just keep retelling the story over and over again for the sake of quote-unquote justice is just ridiculous like you are fully taking out the human element of this and just it's just the worst Yeah, I mean, we could really dive into how messed up it is for a woman to try and get justice for sexual assault. It's because it's insanely terrible, but we will try to get a little bit back more on topic. But before we do move on, we do want to make sure that there is still so much information regarding statistics and stories and situations that we haven't shared. It is a terrible, terrible thing. And if you just start looking more into it on your own, you're going to learn how just how terrible the whole situation is and how much we need to do better for one another. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about what happens and what we do when we don't have control. So even though we fully deserve to utilize consent and bodily autonomy, others may try to get in the way of that and not listen. This can be as simple as forcing a hug on a child when the child is telling you no, or poking someone repeatedly when they keep like moving away. Or it can be more severe in terms of physical or sexual assault, like we've already discussed today. We've already talked a lot about sexual assault and sexual abuse, and if you're not clear as to what constitutes as sexual assault, it includes attempted rape, fondling or unwanted sexual touching, forcing a victim to perform sexual acts such as oral sex or penetrating the victim's body, also known as rape. So we read the Get Help section of abuse, on the church's website, and we wanted to share um, some of the messages that may not have been shared with those who have been hurt previously. It says, quote, you are not responsible for a choice made by someone else. Some may wonder if they did something wrong to deserve these circumstances. Some question their own behavior and wonder if they did something to encourage the other person to ignore their wishes, as if they somehow invited this behavior especially if they made other decisions around the time of the incident that they now see as questionable. They may think that they are somehow partially responsible for what happened to them, but you are not responsible for that to which you did not consent. That is the essence of agency, end quote. We do want to just add two notes, which is to consider the framework of what sexual assault is. Um, understand when people are touching you in, in, in ways that you don't want them to, and also know your own limits with another's body. Additionally, if someone comes to you saying that they were hurt, you need to trust them. If they point fingers at someone, especially someone you know, that person telling you is still most likely telling the truth. False reports really only encompass about 2-5% to 5% of all reports made, um, whether official or just between private parties. And it's really not worth keeping that perpetrator safe, considering it as a false report or anything, if they may have hurt someone. Believe the people telling you that they were hurt. Do what you can for them. And also take care of those who confess to committing sexual assault. Get them the help they need, like jail. So we, ne- we just need to take this a lot more seriously. And I know that the 
and I know this happens a lot within church situations. The Catholic Church has gone through a a lot of ser- serious um what what's what's the word I want for this um, allegations yes. of sexual misconduct very yeah. much. So I remember going through this. I was watching a true crime documentary series about a nun who had disappeared, and it was basically going off. She was a young woman, and girls at the school were coming to her telling her what their principal or someone was doing to them because it was all forms of sexual assault basically and she wanted to like get it called out and stuff i couldn't go through the rest of it because of how painful it was to hear people sharing all these stories and how little that they were helped and while i know we rag on the catholic church a lot for this there are also allegations against people of any religion including our own and it's something that leaders have to be aware of that they cannot go around protecting people who may have committed such a grievous sin. Just because it's a kid telling you something against an adult does not mean that you listen to the adult over the kid. It just really worries me for the generations that are that are rising up, expecting them to be able to trust their leaders, and they are going to be very hurt in many ways if they are not listened to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also saw a couple articles recently about people in our church having sexual misconduct and allegations of the same sort too, so can't escape it. I know, and I mean, like, I can imagine, like, a situation where it, like, kind of feels hard, where if it's, like, a bishop and his best friend says, hey, I might have touched a kid, like, I didn't mean to, like, I'm, I want to repent of this, I'll never do it again, um, and the bishop is like, okay, like, yeah, I know you're a good guy, like, yeah, definitely repent, the kid isn't saying anything, so it must be fine. That is not the way to go at all. I get, I get the desire to keep things under wraps, to not cause drama, to support a friend, but that is entirely inappropriate. It's, it's so bad. It's not okay. I'm saying this here and now. If you are a good friend and someone comes to you and tells you that they've been touching kids, in order for you to be a good friend, you need to report their ass to local authorities immediately, like on the double. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Do not stop like nothing. You need to be reporting that immediately because there's a very good chance that if they did it once in the past, they're still doing it to this day. Oh, definitely. It's not something that you just kind of stop. It's no. no. When it comes to sexual assault and all those kind of issues, they those are the perpetrators most likely to act again do not protect child predators in your family oh my gosh do not protect them protect the children screw the predator anyways moving forward on this same tangent knowing all of this is important not just for ourselves but it's important for those around us we have to consider abuse of all forms whether it's elder abuse abuse of our loved ones or children we have to be paying attention to this stuff we read a 2019 article called seven steps to teaching children body autonomy put together by radies children's hospital in san diego it says quote as adults we are in a position to help prevent abuse from happening to our kids and to empower them to disclose if it does One of the most important prevention tools, in my opinion, is to teach them body autonomy. This concept is one that adults do a particularly poor job of teaching. In fact, adults often force children into situations in which their body is treated as the property of others. Think about the number of times that we force our children to hug a family member or a friend, even when they don't feel comfortable doing so, or when this isn't done spontaneously. What does this teach kids? It tells them that their body is not under their own control and that they must yield it to an adult if they are told to do so. So, what should we be teaching our children instead? Here are some quick tips on introducing your kids to the concept of body autonomy. The first one is teach children the anatomic names for their body parts, including their genitalia. This should be done from the beginning. There is no age that is too young to be told the truth. When cute names are used to describe genitals, the terms may not be easily understood by others and therefore may not garner an appropriate response if a child discloses inappropriate touching and or abuse. I was just thinking about this because I've got nieces and a nephew now. So like sometimes that kind of terminology starts coming up and I've been trying really hard to make sure that I am using this kind of verbiage because it is important for them to understand their body parts, like other that other people have, may have different looking parts and everything. And I'm trying to like do it from like an okay angle, especially since they're not technically my kids, so I can't totally parent them. Um, 
but it is super important. The only thing is like, I realize how uncomfortable I am doing this because that's the way I was raised. They're just words. But if I can help them get raised knowing this terminology and understanding it, they're not going to be uncomfortable about it. They're going to be okay with their bodies, with other people's bodies, and it's going to be so much better for them. All right. So the second one is teach children that it is okay to say no, even to adults. If a child is uncomfortable with something that is happening to them, they should be empowered to stop it. Third one says, educate children that they should ask permission of others before touching their body. That's a great way to teach them consent. The fourth one is help children understand the difference between okay touches, like those that make them feel happy, and not okay touches, which are any touch that makes them feel uncomfortable, scared, or confused. That's an important one too. Number five, explain to children that there are okay secrets, for example, things that aren't harmful, like what you are getting mommy for Christmas. And then there are not okay secrets, like those that hide their own hurt or the hurt of others and have something to do with private parts. And then enforce that they have to tell an adult when someone asks them to keep a not okay secret. Number six is teach children that if anything ever happens to their body that they don't like, it is not their fault and that they will not be in trouble for telling, even if someone says that they will, which it's a very common theme in child predators, which is they, if you say anything, you'll get in trouble. Mommy will be mad, blah, 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 blah. It's that manipulation piece. So teach children all of that stuff. That's very true. And I think I think kids are a lot smarter than we like to give them credit for. But by ensuring that they better understand this information as a kid, they're going to be better equipped to handle these situations that may come to them. If they don't encounter any of these issues, then that is great. That's amazing. We just need to make sure that they are prepared to handle bad situations as well as good ones. And the last one, which is help children identify five adults they can turn to if something happens that they don't like. At least three of these adults should not be family, as in cases of abuse, because children do not generally tell their parents or family members first. Parents should empower their kids to tell a trusted adult, even if it is not themselves. I really like that. I think that's an important thing. Well, yeah. And then, like, I think, like, also, like, running with this um, in a similar vein is I've heard of, like, giving your kids a safe word to understand. So it's not something that they ever say. But if, you know, if they're being picked up by someone that they don't know as well, they can ask for a safe word. And if the if their parents have not given that person a safe word, then the kid knows not to go with them. I haven't heard of like how well this works or anything, but I, I thought if the kid is old enough to like kind of understand like what you do and don't do right then, um, it could definitely be a very safe situation there and give them at least a little bit of security in dealing with new people if they don't know um, anyone too well. I think also like schools have gotten a lot smarter to this <laughs> yes. than when we were in school because now like if anyone besides like a parent or legal guardian is going to be picking up a kid from school like mm-hmm. special permission notified and they have yep. to get that special slip and permission and everything. <laughs> Whereas like when we were kids it's like it I'm just, here for this kid. Oh sure take him. Oh no it wasn't just that it was whoever showed up at the pickup line oh, that's like true. outside of school like oh my gosh yes whoever showed up have fun kid good luck hey get out we're not responsible for you now yeah so i think that schools are rising up to this also in that same vein like while that information that we just shared is very much directed towards children we like we both said this is very important to learn at any age you should reconsider the rules that you were raised with what you tell other people and most importantly what you believe for yourself you have a right to your body. You have a right to decide what is done with it, who touches it, and everything else in between. And following with that, we do want to note that if you have been hurt in any way, we do invite you to seek help, medical therapy, um, any kind of help you can find. If you do want to turn to the church, they do have a crisis line that you can contact. Additionally, we do understand that someone might have concerns in connecting with a religious conversation that doesn't always follow Title IX counseling laws and so on. So we invite you to also connect with a couple other resources such as victimconnect.org. They've got a hotline and text line for victims of any kind of crime. Additionally, RAIN, R-A-I-N-N.org. They've got a link to the National Sexual Assault Hotline and links to help people know the laws associated to their crime to figure out their action plan and how to move forward. If those who don't work out well for you, a simple Google search of sexual assault 
therapist in my area should hopefully do the trick for you. Going through this kind of situation is not easy and it does not go away or fade into the background of your life quickly at all. We do want you to be able to heal and to take care of yourself in the best way. Hopefully you can find the resources that are right for you. We know that today's discussion was a very heavy topic overall, but we have really wanted to talk about consent for a very long time. And we hope that for those of you that are still listening, that you have learned something new about yourself, about consent, about how you can move forward in your relationships with others and everything else in between. Decide your boundaries now, if you haven't already, and make sure to do this so that way you can have more security in your relationships. Understand that you have been blessed with agency, with bodily autonomy, and you deserve to be treated with respect and to be doing the exact same thing with other people too and treating them with bodily respect as well. Yes, so this was heavy, but we do appreciate you joining us for this. We will see you next week on our 100th episode. 100, yes. All right, have a good week, everyone. All right, bye. Bye.